Well, yeah, I mean, there's some rugged land and there's some really rugged golf courses as well. Um, and some of the golf courses out there on the islands are are unbelievably spectacular. I mean, they're a bit rough around the edges, um, not the most pristine of uh, fairways and things like that, but in terms of like a authentic experience, I mean, they're pretty hard to beat. Um, and, and I guess it, it's one of those things that Scotland actually has um, that's very special is that so much of it is quite untapped by human humans. I mean, it's, it's very remote in so many parts and uh, to actually get a chance to go out there and just you know, walk in the middle of nowhere um, is really, really cool. And they have golf courses, you know, how they sustain themselves, I have no idea, um, but they find a way and it, it's fabulous. Hello and welcome to the Blind Shots Podcast. I'm your host, David Hill. Coming to you from behind the 18th tee box on the old course, lining up my chip onto the green of the road hole. And this is Season 4, Episode 9. The voice you just heard waxing poetic about the wild places on the north and west coasts of Scotland was my guest today, Kieran Clark. Kieran is the digital and social editor at Golf Shake, an online golf media and social website that I enjoy, but he didn't come here to join me and talk about work. Kieran lives in St. Andrews, Scotland, which gave him a bit of a unique perspective to describe his experience with the 150th Open Championship played there this summer. What you'll hear today is about half of what we talked about during our conversation, part of it strictly styled off the record, and the other half lost to technical difficulties. But fear not, I think you'll rather enjoy what we're presenting. He gets to the essence of what makes the home of golf so special on any given day, and how those magical qualities are amplified by the buzz and excitement of an Open Championship coming to town. Whether you're a frequent visitor to St. Andrews or you long for the chance to visit someday, you're going to enjoy this conversation. Before we begin with golf's favorite son from the Isle of Brute, a reminder that you're always invited to give me an attaboy or throw vegetables at the show on Twitter and Instagram at BlindShotsPod and BlindShotsPodcast, respectively. Also, this remarkable commercial-free content is possible because of my day job as a realtor with Rector Hayden Realtors. Of course, I help people sell their house and find a new home, as well as helping investors and businesses with their commercial property needs in Central Kentucky. It's an interesting time to be a realtor and a great time to be a buyer, so if you want to know what's happening in our market, you can email me at davidhill at rhr.com and we'll get a conversation started. Now, Kieran and I were both disappointed that we couldn't get together in 2019 during my pilgrimage to the home of golf with Matt and Fred. But I think our chat here makes up for a bit of lost time and solidifies our commitment to make right that missed opportunity somewhere down the line. Enjoy. We'll, we'll, we'll table set with this. So you're, you're not from there. How long have you called St. Andrew's home? Seven years. Okay. And uh, you just wrote a, a fantastic piece. I, I was reading, uh, going through your Twitter timeline um, about yeah. the idea of a Lynx ticket. And one of the ways to get yes. it is a, a permanent resident. Now, what strings mm -hmm. are attached to a permanent residence in St. Andrews? Because that, that has legal definitions here. What does that mean yeah. over there? Well, that, that is actually a good question. And uh, I think... Um, I think it's basically you have to live here you know, nine months out of the year uh, as a minimum, um, and they're obviously legal 
uh, things have to be certified. You have to get a letter signed uh, by a lawyer or a doctor, someone who can verify that more often than not that you live in St Andrews. Because obviously a lot of people have holiday homes here, second homes here, they come and go as they please. That said, I'm not convinced um, it's necessarily the most carefully policed of things. Um, I think a lot of people come in, they get their thing signed and that's it. And then they just sort of play along with it. And just every year they just renew their their membership, so to speak. And, and that's how they have it. So, I mean, after, if you have the, the residency ticket for two years, you have the right to have it for life but it will change depending on your circumstances. So for example, if you were to live outside the town, you'd come under a different category, uh, whether it be the North East Fife ticket or if you're further afield, um, even people internationally have links tickets. They're much harder to get and they're much more expensive, but if people have the money, then they're willing to pay for it. But the easiest way to get a links ticket is literally to move into St. Andrews and get someone to verify that you live there whether it be voting records, that kind of thing. And, and that's it, it's, it's quite straightforward. Um, so when, I, when I came in, I got mine, uh, it would be almost six years ago now, and I had the, uh, the lawyer sign it and that was it. And then every year around kind of February time, they send you the renewal form and you just tick the box and, and there you go. And it's, uh, it's still, it's the best deal in the history of human civilization because you get to play all these courses every year all year for £350 a year, which is just it's oh, that's astonishing. I can't even do a golf <laughs> trip. Even at today's exchange rate, I can't do a, a proper golf trip for that amount. Um, so, no, you, no. so you have yours through your residency. Are you a member of a golf club in St. Andrews as well? I'm that... not. No, okay. I, I'm not. I've never got around to that. And because um, obviously the, the membership at a golf club would be on top of the links ticket. The links tickets is very own unique thing. That's it. Um, obviously a lot of people are members of the new club or the St Andrews Golf Club and they would pay their fees on top of that to be a member of that club but of course you can be a member of one of those clubs without actually having a links ticket um, being a member of one of those clubs doesn't give you the, the right to play the golf courses um, so you have to have both um, I haven't got around I'm not the biggest golf club person has to be said I mean despite my my apparent conservative demeanor I'm not really one for institutions and hierarchies and people in tweed jackets and it's not really my my scene um so I I just like going out and playing and I'm you know I play members of clubs visitors just random people that you happen to get paired up with I enjoy that side of it so uh, I've never really felt the need to actually join one of the clubs um but I, I keep every year i come to it, i think you know i'm gonna do it this year uh, maybe, maybe this time maybe i'll do it in 2023 that, that could be the i think i would go and join the uh, the new club um i think there's something quite sort of romantic about the new club because it was kind of set up for the more of the, the kind of the, the lesser people of st andrews and you know tom morris was very much behind that and of course he he died there after falling down the stairs um so there's that kind of connection to it as well so I think that would be the one I, I, would, I would choose. I mean, so I, I wouldn't even accept an invitation, not that it would ever come to the RA. I mean, I wouldn't want to be in there. I'm going in with the ties on and, oh, God, no, no, no. <laughs> now, see, that, that's funny coming from worse. somebody on the ground there because there are so many, you know, there's, hey, I'm a gypsy. I'm, I'm not a member of a golf club. I, I play our day, you know, pay courses here and love it. Yeah. But that's such an interesting perspective that, you know, just the... Uh, to hell with all the the formality, all the non-golf 
parts of a golf club, essentially. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, committees and people having meetings and, oh, no, no, no. Speaking about things anathema to the modern world, yeah, sit around and having meetings and it all could have been just a simple, it all could have been an email. It all could have been a text message. Um, you know, well I, well, I know, but they have to have it all official, don't they? And then the club records, and must go down in the, the minutes of the meeting, and they all note it down and they put it in the record book. Well, we had a meeting about this here or that. And <laughs> well, will, will we accept this guy as a member? Actually, that, that, that's the bit that kind of annoys me is the fact that to become a member of, for example, the new club or, or the St. Andrews Golf Club, you have to go through this very convoluted process of, okay, you get the, the letter, you sign it, and then another member has to sign it as well and verify that you're an upstanding person. Then you have to get an interview with the club, and and, and I, I would hate that because, um, unfortunately, some, sometimes uh, my my personality betrays the professionalism I actually have. If I was to sit there and have a meeting, I probably wouldn't come across as well as I really should do. Um, I talk too much, as you can probably tell now. Actually, I once had a meeting, um, or I, actually an interview for a job at the RNA, just incidentally. Um, I think that was my problem there, where I could have done the job. I was probably good enough to do the job, but they probably thought, who, who, who on earth is this guy? <laughs> I, when I come in, we came in with like a, a tie that was not matching the color of the rest of the outfit and this kind of, you know, not a great looking jacket on and just sat down like, hey, here you go. Sat down for 45 minutes. I probably spoke for 42 of them. Oh, and Lord. I was there to get the job. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I need to, work, need to work on my presentation skills. Uh, you know, I, I went the probably the least, I, I would assume, I, I don't know if this type of information is publicly available. You know, I was able, I was privileged to play the old course because I won the lottery. I won a private advanced tee time, which is yes. you know now available online. So I didn't have to go camp mm -hmm. out and stand in line. I didn't have to sign up as a single um, and I didn't have a, it was not through a club. I just was that random person. I didn't pay a tour operator or company. Um, yeah. Being around town, do you do you have any kind of sense on how the trust breaks down availability kind of through those sorts of things, through ticket holders, through tour operators, um, and then kind of the way I got on um, through advance, being able to make a reservation a year in advance? Do you have any well, sense I of that? Do, I do know that. I do know that, that for example, in, in the advanced tickets, which are obviously, they, they came back this year after obviously a couple of years and not being available. Uh, I mean, literally thousands of people weren't successful i mean i know people who work in the, in the links trust and i i think they, they generally speaking get the balance quite right um i mean i think it's about probably maybe 40 percent of the tea times are the two day beforehand ballot i think that's about right um and then the rest of that is obviously broken down with the tour operators and then the, the private advance and i'm not too sure about the overall numbers and the percentages but it's hard. I mean, I think they do a pretty good job uh, given the demand. I mean, that's obviously the thing. The demand is huge. But that, you know, I, I recommend people, someone I know who I think I saw that you were unsuccessful this year in the, the application and the ballot. And someone else I know was in the same situation. And they, they were planning to come over to Scotland anyway next year. And they weren't too sure if they're going to cut short the trip in St Andrews because they couldn't get on the old course. And I said to them, well, you know what, just come because... You go in that 36 uh, day uh, hour before ballot, um, then you, you have a really, really good chance of being successful. And 
especially here for a week. And if you know someone like myself who is a local golfer, and some of the ballot times are set aside for local golfers. So, for example, there's the, the regular ballot where everyone's kind of in that. And then there's a local ballot. So some of the tea times. And you can see them if you look at the, uh, the ballot sheet that's released every day. Uh, some of the tea times are mostly only for local golfers. So between eight and nine in the morning and then generally later in the day. And then on a Thursday, it's every second time in the afternoon goes to local golfers on a Saturday. The same story all day. So they've also got to try and balance the, uh, the needs of the local golfers and then obviously the visitors but and of course the lo a lot of the local golfers would be critical that oh we can't get on we can't play here we can't do this but mm -hmm. the reason they get such a good deal with their annual fee is because of the money of course that Lynx Trust makes from all the visitors who obviously pay a lot more of a premium to to come here so it, it's tough I mean I'm not sure that there's a better system that they could follow I think they try different avenues and you mentioned the the single ballot uh, thing and uh, sorry the single golfer thing on the day and to me that's you could choose one way to do it that's kind of the most romantic way of doing it and it's one of my favorite things actually is whenever I'm on the old course and a two or a free ball and obviously they ask will you take on a single golfer from the from the list and it's one of my favorite things to do that because uh, you we always get that. these people who are of course yeah who are um, unbelievably grateful for the chance we, I mean, we got paired guys, with I was going to say, we got paired with an American uh, from, the, yeah. oddly enough, which I thought was, I was struck by because we were there in late October and it was, yeah, he was just happy to get mm -hmm. out. And we went out, we had a midday, you know, this time of year, it gets dark unbelievably early over there uh, in St. Andrews. It does. It does. I was just looking by 4.30, you've got nightfall. That's. Oh yeah. I mean, that's it. I mean, literally two hours from now it's dark. Um, so it's 2.30 or so here now and um, two hours from now. It's, uh, it's actually it's a you know, lovely bright sky today, blue sky. It's a bit breezy, uh, not a bad day at all, but it will be really dark, um, you know, early. But the thing is, it's funny because in the summer it's the complete opposite, where it's, right. it's dark for you, know, you go towards the end of June. I mean, it's probably you could literally play from four o'clock in the morning, well, let um, me... through to about eleven p.m. That's where I wanted to go next. You know, St Andrews is golf's world capital. Um, it's a, but it's also a university yeah. town. Um, it's on the coast, you know, you're on the sea there. Describe for me a little bit what a kind of a normal non-open championship summer, what does it look like? What does it sound like uh, in St. Andrews? Well, I mean, it's it's bustling. And I think that's the case, David, um, throughout the whole year in different respects. I mean, obviously, you have the student population here, which is significant, and that adds a certain energy and dynamic and a a bit of a cosmopolitan feel to the, the town the whole year. Um, but in the summertime specifically, obviously have really long days, you know, very early mornings. And I, well, I'm not known for my, I, I believe in very few things, uh, but one of them is I'm not a, a morning person. So, um, you know, I believe you go to bed, not the same day you got up. That's my, one of my life policies. <laughs> and because of that, I don't see very many early mornings, but I have on occasion gone down to the the old course very early at sunrise just to kind of see what it's like and it's you know i went down one time at 5 a.m the light was coming up and there's people everywhere people waiting to play but people just walking around getting photographs on the bridge all kinds of things and and there's that energy so there yeah i mean summers here are fascinating because very long days 
you know, light until about I think 11 p.m. Um, and then you have just golfers everywhere, and it's just everyone's happy to be here. And that's I think the overriding thing, which is a really underrated um, trait for anywhere where you have a town that is um, it's a unique place because you have this really small town on the east of Scotland that's kind of like this international beacon. And you mentioned it being like the the capital of golf, but it's also got that university energy to it, the obviously the history to it. So it, it draws in a, a really diverse crowd. And you can walk around the streets here and you hear every kind of accent, different languages. And it's a really quite special thing. So it has got a really special energy to it. Um, obviously, in, the, in the recent years with the, the pandemic and so on, you noticed that we lost that for a little while. And that was very noticeable and telling. And it was it really did hit home. But this summer at the Open Championship, it was kind of a sign that it was coming back. And I'm sure in the years to come, we'll have that energy again. But no, summers here are fabulous because if the weather's good, which it is actually more often than not, it's better than people think it is for the most part. Um, and you have everyone who's happy to be here. So in, in the pubs and the restaurants and the streets, and the thing is about St Andrews, David, and you've been here so you can kind of uh, testify to this, is it's a great walking town because everything is quite self-contained. You more or less have only three or four streets and everyone's kind of, everything there is all quite close together. All the kind of amenities and attractions are all right close to each other. I mean, literally within you know, 15 minutes, you can walk from the old course to the West Sands, to the East Sands, to the castle, the cathedral, you know, the pubs in the town, restaurants, all that stuff. And it's all there. So, I mean, it, it's hard to describe. I mean, obviously living here, you kind of, it, it's, it becomes normal. Uh, but when you see it through, if you meet visitors and you see it through their eyes and you realize, no, this, this is pretty cool that you kind of see it all the time that you live here. And, um, and obviously it's something that I'm, you know, really, really grateful for to have the chance to do. And I do love the summers here because they have that energy. When you get towards the autumn and the winter, the golfers kind of decrease in number and it becomes more of the students who bring their own energy to things. Maybe a little bit messier, maybe a little bit um, not as refined as such, but <laughs> there's always something going on here. That's for sure. You know, I, we, I live in a college town here and yes, there is and I've yeah. most of my life, I, well, actually, I guess all of my life, I've lived in a town with a big university and it does the, the students create their own inertia and their own energy. The only thing I'll add to what you said is you now we weren't there in the summer, but for someone that yeah. hasn't been to St. Andrews yet, the scale of the town adds to that character too, that it is an, a very old city. So the streets are mm -hmm. small, the sidewalks are small, like you are, you are single file. Yeah. So you're, you're passing people, you're acknowledging, you know, you're, you are around it is a mass of humanity it's organized but you know if you're down in the where you're talking about if you're down by the course if you're down around the hotels around the dunvegan there you are there with other people you know and mm -hmm. you know kind of looking back on how that experience because we were there in fall of 2019 so right before the whole yeah. world shut down and and to compare that to kind of now in the last couple of years yes that 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 energy that kind of natural spirit is something that I think everybody should experience. Now com contrast that sort of just a normal summer to um, an open championship when, when the, mm. the old course is hosting, how, what is different? What, what are the main things that, that struck you? And, and you can use this year or you can use one of the prior years and even compare and contrast because this being the 150th, they got all the yeah. celebration. Out. They, they didn't leave any powder dry. Oh, yes. they, they fired off all the fireworks that they could. They, they certainly did. And, uh, 
I mean, you know, it was the first Open I, I, I've actually lived here for. Um, I attended several before in St Andrews, so, but to actually see it uh, you know, develop from start to finish, from when, obviously, it was delayed by a year. It should have been last right. year. Uh, and obviously, that's now proven to be the correct decision because you wouldn't have had you know, the event the way it was last year um, because the scale of it was just incredible. So I think how to compare it to you know, a regular summer would be just the scale of the week was just incredible. And the build-up, so obviously the infrastructure started appearing at the end of March. Um, so the, the Open became very normal. It became very real for a long time as it you know, gradually progressed and built up. And it almost became, to some extent, oppressive because the infrastructure, the grandstands, the hospitality, it's never been as big as it was this year. I mean, it was unbelievable, the scale of this, the, the whole setting down there. It completely transformed it. And then you also get the build-up to it and the week itself. And the one great thing about you know, the Open Championship, David, is, of course, you go to these very small towns all across the British Isles and they become kind of a, a golf festival for that week. And certainly the, there's nowhere more that's the case than here. And, you know, looking back at that week now, it was just the um, the atmosphere was fantastic, obviously, because the weather was very good, too. I mean, it was dry and warm. Um, if only it was a little bit breezier during the actual competitive days. That's my one regret. But apart from that, it was perfect. And... And it, just, it was just, the build-up to it was fantastic. And I remember the Saturday before the championship uh, was kind of the last day before the golf course closed down. Because obviously the old course, people who don't realise, is, is public land. Mm -hmm. So literally you can just walk around it and as you are. And famously on a Sunday when there's no golf on, it becomes effectively a public park. People walk their dogs, they have picnics, kids go around, that kind of thing. Um, people walk around the golf course and start saying, oh, yeah, I would play that shot there. Oh, no, I wouldn't do that. Oh, yeah, and do all that stuff. And, and that's a very special thing where you have, you know, arguably the most famous golf course and certainly the most consequential golf course in the world that people can actually just walk around freely. I think that's just an amazing thing that probably it goes against the stereotype of golf as being very inclusive and, you know, exclusive rather and very kind of closed down. So that's a fabulous thing. On that Saturday, it, it, it was still open to the public before they closed the gates and actually made it ticketed for the following day. But you still had players who were practicing. And I went down the Saturday evening, a beautiful night, and there was Adam Scott picking shots and Mark Leishman and guys like that. And people were literally walking on the fairways around them as if it was normal. And that is where you had that famous thing when Tiger turned up with Justin Thomas on the Saturday evening, and they walked nine holes with a crowd of people who just happened to be there walking around with them and not, not paying to get in. There was no, that wasn't a ticket a day. They had the best freebie of all time and, and that kind of thing. So that led to that sort of energy. And because the golf course, you know, connects so closely to the town, you step off the golf course, you're practically in the center of town and all the stuff that's there. And you walk off the course and I was walking around the town and I'm, I'm walking by Colin Morikawa in the street. He's, he's going out for the evening. He was dressed very casually, dressed very smartly, it has to be said, you know, very nice look. Um, but he was snooping out for the night and and things like that. So, and that was just the Saturday before the championship began. Um, so, and then building up to the championship itself, obviously every day it got busier and busier and busier. And, and there, there are so many different events. You mentioned, David, how they, they sort of, they threw everything and they could at this Open. You know, from the, the champion challenge on the Monday, which I thought was a, a wonderful event and, um, I was there for that. Great to see that uh, play out and some of the great names that were involved in that who I didn't think I'd ever see again or even ever, 
you know, such as Lee Trevino. I mean, that was great to see him play right. there, be part of that. Jack Nicholas, of course, was there. And on the Tuesday, he received the effectively the, the citizenship of the town, which is a really historic event. I wasn't in the building to see the ceremony, which it turned out was very emotional, but I was there outside of it and watching the little parade that they had when he was in the open car uh, with Barbara and going around the streets and all the other people that were there and the crowds that came out to watch that. It was a very kind of very civic event and it made it feel like it was more than just a golf championship. It was it was part of this town's story and its history and it's something that will go down you know for a long time to come. And I think one thing that was telling David for me um, but what made it really real was actually on the first day of the championship and I did obviously mention my aversion to early mornings but I had to be there for the first tee shot. So I live just about two miles from the old course so I, I was up early and I walked into the town uh, before 6am and I was there for the first tee shot when Paul Laurie hit the, the shot to begin the open but what made it really interesting was the fact that it was so quiet walking into town on the outskirts at you know 5.50 in the morning. Then as I got closer into town, you start feeling that anticipation. People were starting to emerge from houses, all dressed up as golfers, of course, all there with their backpacks and their umbrellas and things. Not that they were necessary in the end, thankfully. And you know, people start appearing from everywhere. A lot of your compatriots were there saying, where's the golf course? It's that way. Here we go. <laughs> and everyone's, mar everyone's marching down. <laughs> yeah, and the time why ask? The Just follow course, the crowd. So, exactly. It's this way. Come on. Follow me. <laughs> I, I was sort of like, I was like Pied Piper leading the way. Like, come on, guys. There we go. So we, we got there in the end. And, and the time you got to the actual old course, there was, you know, a few thousand people already there at 6 a.m. ready for it to all kick off. So it was the atmosphere it was fascinating. And after all the, com the competition days, especially when you got to the weekend, and Saturday night was an was a amazing thing because you know, it has to be said that Rory McIlroy was by far the crowd favorite. I mean, it was, it, the crowd was just so behind him that whole week. It was, it was quite something. Um, that's something, I, that's something I wanted to, to flesh out with you because on TV, yeah. the, that narrative was, was driven. I mean, the, it was very clear yes. from early in the week that that was going to be Rory's coronation. Roy, for those that don't know, yeah. we don't talk a lot of pro golf here, but so this is yeah. Rory McIlroy, a, a, a golfer from Northern Ireland. So he has a UK connection. Yeah. He has what, four or five, he has a handful of major championships that he won at a relatively mm -hmm. young age. He has been on a drought for better part of eight years. I think, I think 2014 congressional was his last major championship. Um, so, he, but he's still one of the top, one of the top five golfers in the world. And yeah. this was, he had been, you know, this was 150th in St. Andrews. He was in form, was playing well. He had had a year um, he had been a very vocal critic of some of the happenings in pro golf, very critical of the, mm -hmm. the rival tour, the, the live tour, the 54 tour that, um, it, it has it kind of plucked a lot of pro golfers onto this. There was all this drama about who was going to be allowed to play and who wasn't. And he was kind of the, the champion of the, the old line, um, so to speak the the PGA tour that was, he, um, and he's very thoughtful when he speaks in press conferences and interviews, you can tell he's, he's kind of thought about it. He, he doesn't give us canned answers as most pro athletes. Um, so on TV, it came through that this was going to be his coronation. This was going to be uh, the ultimate karmic payback. He was going to be rewarded, you know, for his fine form and, and everything else. And that was going to be great. 
So it, it, you're saying it was that way in the ground? Yes. Okay. I, oh, I was oh, very curious. much so. I bet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at the um, the Saturday in particular uh, when he was leading the championship and he finished that day uh, four shots ahead of the, the pack alongside uh, Victor Hovland from Norway. Uh, but a big Irish crowd there as well. And just because, you know, for the people who don't follow the professional game, I mean, Rory McIlroy's he's not Tiger Woods, but he's about as close to Tiger Woods as we've seen since in terms of the profile that he has and kind of the, the way he resonates with people. And and people who, who watch the championship will remember that Tiger Woods was playing in it after all of his problems. He's won at St Andrews twice, very emotional for him to come back here, possibly for the last time as a competitor. And he missed the cut uh, on the Friday. And I was able to see that, which was quite a moment to see him walking up the last hole and the crowd were there. And at the same time, Roy McIlroy was, was teeing off the first and they literally passed each other by the fairway. And it did kind of feel like that sort of, you know, proverbial, cliched, passing of the torch sort of moment. And certainly it was the narrative that clearly the majority of the crowd wanted to happen, was they wanted to see Roy McIlroy win the Open. So when he was leading the championship on Saturday night, the town was absolutely bustling. There was live music in the street, there was bands playing, all the pubs are spilling onto the, you know, onto the road. Uh, the town kind of shuts down the centre so it's safe to do that and it just becomes this sort of carnival atmosphere. And I think, I mean, the following day, as it turned out, he didn't win the Open, came very close to doing so. Um, it would have been just a, a, a seismic, incredible atmosphere on that Sunday evening, which is not to take away from Cameron Smith, who of course won the event fabulously. But in terms of the, the atmosphere, it really struck me where, and maybe it, it was also a, a reaction to the past couple of years, which, you know, it's not something we want to look back on lightly, but when you think about people, they couldn't do the things they wanted to do, they couldn't connect with people in person the same way as they had done before. And to come here, it was like a shared experience and it kind of felt like the first almost uninhibited big championship that we've had, certainly in the UK, uh, for a long time in golf. And it, it had that atmosphere. People were just happy to be here and to be on the streets and celebrating it all. Um, and it, it was just a fabulous week. And it's one that you look back on now, obviously now quite a few months later, and it, you think, yeah, I mean, that, that was an experience. That was something that you won't forget because it, was, it wasn't so much about the golf or that, that kind of falls to the wayside almost. You know, obviously you watch great golfers and you watch the great golf shots, but what you really get out of going to an event in person, especially one like that is it's the atmosphere it's the experience it's even you know talking to people you're never going to meet again I remember I mentioned Tiger was missing the cut um the big speculation was what was he going to do when he crossed the bridge which of course people know as a spoken bridge if you're a local person it's the golfer's bridge but spoken slash golfer's bridge when he crossed that which of course is an iconic thing that a lot of great champions in the past have sit on that bridge and then kind of wave goodbye to the game we're all standing there thinking, right, is he going to stop? Is he going to wave? Is he going to, you know, take his cap off? What's he going to actually do? And, of course, what he did was he just crossed the bridge but did slow down slow a little bit, took the hat off and just saluted the crowd and moved on. But he didn't stop, which was a sense that he was not quite giving in to, uh, to father time, so to speak. But just that sort of shared experience, something that obviously we haven't had for a couple of years. And to get it back in, in that fashion just made it... Um, a fabulous event. I mean, they, they couldn't really have asked, I, I don't think, for a, for a better championship. I mean, it, it turned out extremely well. As I say, if only it was a little bit breezier, 
during the four days, the actually the competitive days, because it made it more of an interesting test. Because actually during the practice days, it was quite tricky, but that did die down uh, on the Thursday morning. But uh, it was just a fabulous event, and it was a great showcase for St Andrews. And of course, people, it's easy to kind of go over the top with the superlatives and the descriptions and say, oh yeah, I mean, it's the best thing ever. You have to kind of come and experience it yourself to kind of get that feeling. Um, and you mentioned the comparison between a regular summer and the open summer. Obviously, the open is obviously bigger. It's amped up. It's height. I mean, there must have been 50,000 people in the town every single day, uh, which is, I mean, the town has a population of about 17,000. So to add 50,000 on top of that is obviously quite <laughs> something, but <laughs> quite, quite ridiculous almost. But on a regular summer, you do still get that sense of place, that sense of occasion, that sense of joy because I say people are for the most part happy to be here and that energy is is tangible and they're all kind of willing to sort of sit back and take in their surroundings and I mean you can walk around the town at any time of day uh, during the summer and there's always guys walking around to see all different accents and languages and cultures all coming together because they they love the game and and this place you know it, it does represent for a lot of people the, the best of the game and, and that's what it is. I mean, it's kind of like Disneyland for golfers, where you have not just the old course, but obviously, you know, seven courses in total, all with their own kind of um, unique offering and perspective. And yeah, it's just, a, it's just a unique place. And it has, and again, you have the energy of the students as well, and that's part of it too. And it's just, it kind of blends together this very old style town with the castles and the cathedral and the old cobbled streets. And it has this kind of, if it's not as, stoic energy it has that kind of freshness to it because every year people are all here kind of you know having their own story and, and making their own memories and kind of the the cliche that they like to use is sort of come here you come here and you walk in the footsteps of legends and icons and that kind of thing and that's obviously a bit of a, you know, a grand statement but it is to an extent true um but i say the great thing about it is it's open to everyone even if you don't play golf you can still come here and, and walk the course and just take it all in and and that's a cool thing as well so I mean the Open was you know just an unbelievable experience and it was but that said I mean I, mean, I, I don't want to sound like a, a killjoy I'm trying to you know, bring everything down but that said when you live here all the time and you saw all the infrastructure getting built up and you know, all the anticipation and the week and everything else you really enjoyed the week I loved the week but part of me was kind of glad that it finished. So, oh, <laughs> yeah, I have yeah. my town back now. Right. Yeah, you, yeah, need, just, oh. you need you need your village back. You someone stole your seat at the pub. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. You know. You, baby, that's the thing. I mean, sorry, on you go. No, I, the yeah, the, there's it does it becomes a it becomes very touristy and, and very Disneyland. I want to go a quick detour down into a cul-de-sac. You mentioned there were a lot of my compatriots there. And that came through on yes. the broadcast too, that there was just an unbelievable, it seemed like there was an unbelievable amount of Americans mm -hmm. there for yeah. an open championship. Um, now in full disclosure, I put my name in the, the, the open uh, did a ticket lottery. And this is, I don't know that they had done it to this extent before kind of an open lottery, mm -hmm. put your name in um, very much in the style of what Augusta national does for the masters, put your tickets in and you'll yes. be, you'll, you'll get them. You had to put in how many, I don't know if I did. I think I did four. It would have brought the boys over because that would have been. I've got one son that is old enough to have been. He's probably golf course ready. The other one, I just would have had a filter like when he opened it, you know, to do the dad move. But it turns out, <laughs> and I think we chatted about this offline a little bit. The the ticket situation actually was kind of a fiasco. Um, 
mm-hmm. this year. Tell the people, tell people a little bit about what happened. I, I didn't win. Sadly, I would have come over. I, I look for any excuse. I put my name into the private advanced tea time lottery. Um, I would have been happy. We would have set up base camp wherever I could get a tea time and just taken the train in as close as we could get and walked in from yeah. there. You know, that, that would have been my adventure because staying anywhere in Fife probably was just out of the question, but um, mm-hmm. tell me, tell me a little bit about how that evolved. Cause I, I think you mentioned that they, they sold a lot of tickets and then they had a whole bunch that all of a sudden weren't so sold. Yes. Yes. Well, that, that was a symptom of the fact that you mentioned it there. You hinted at it where obviously it's one thing getting a ticket, which is fine, but then it's finding somewhere to stay. And that's more challenging, especially when you come to, I mentioned earlier, St. Andrews is a small town, you know, a population of around 17,000, and it is a very rural part of the country. I mean, there aren't that many big, Dundee's a city just about 13 miles away. Apart from that, you have, you know, Edinburgh, the capital is a good, you know, 50 miles away, and it's a you know, decent journey away. So getting a getting accommodation that was close to the town was challenging for a lot of people. And what made it more challenging was the fact that, obviously, the Open Championship when it comes to St Andrews is in the calendar many years in advance. And in years gone by, you could literally turn up on the day and buy a ticket and come in through the gate. And not even in, in advance, you could do it if you wanted to, but generally speaking, you could turn up on the day and just go and watch the Open. And that was a very kind of special thing that was quite unique, I think, to a big sporting event of any kind. I mean, you can't do that at Wimbledon. You can't do that at the Masters, as you said. That's all balloted well in advance. But here at the Open for many years, you could literally just turn up on the day and there you go and go and watch the Open, pay your money and, and go and see it. And people in years gone by would book their accommodation literally four or five years in advance. See, right? In 2021 or 2022, I'll be in St Andrews and go and watch the Open. So they would you know, get a hotel or their bed and breakfast or hire a home, whatever it might be. And then, of course, the ticket ballot came into play. And that was first introduced for the Open at Royal Port Rush in Northern Ireland three years ago in 2019, due okay. to the, the great demand they were expecting for that event, try and limit it a little bit and try and stop the entire island of Ireland right. going to the Open, descending on the town, you know, swarming across the, the poor town of Port Rush. But, but generally speaking, there's a new thing for the Open. They did it last year at Royal St George's down in England, um, trying to limit the capacity that was obviously to do with the pandemic and having a relatively limited crowd uh, versus normal numbers but what it has done for the RNA is it gives them guaranteed income they, they sell tickets years in advance they know what they're going to make it's all done and they like it creates that sort of sense of demand as well and it's that kind of marketing ploy of well if you sort of put a limit on something people are suddenly interested in oh I must try and get a ticket for that oh yeah right. okay much like the masters and but the trouble was people were getting tickets all over the world but they didn't have accommodation either because it was all gone or because they hadn't planned well in advance and a lot of people were actually turning tickets back in so there had to be a second ballot that was done earlier this year um i'm not sure how many tickets it had to get resold but it was a significant number of course they all were resold in the end but what the impact of the um, the ticket ballot was, and you mentioned earlier about the, the great number of compatriots that were here from the United States and you know other parts of North America and indeed the rest of the world, was the fact that uh, the, the golfers from the UK and Ireland, who would obviously be the bulk of the crowd in previous years, they were, ha- were perhaps a little bit shut out. It was harder for them to get tickets because they were competing with everyone else and they couldn't turn up on the day and just buy a ticket and come through the gate. So it certainly changed the... Um, the demographic of the crowd and maybe that 
perhaps, you because know, it has to be said, and, I, and you know, I'm not entirely critical of this, but a lot of the people from North America are a little bit livelier than some of our more, you know, conservative Scots and Englishmen who maybe are a little bit more, oh, we won't shout out, we won't cheer too much. But uh, you guys, to put you all into one big bracket, one big <laughs> umbrella, are a little bit livelier. And that has a certain energy to it as well. So it was probably the most international uh, crowd ever at an Open Championship this year. And that obviously was heightened by the fact it was at St Andrews. It was 150th, obviously an historic occasion, that kind of thing, and that adds to it as well. But it certainly gave it a, a different atmosphere versus other Opens. Now, the question will be whether that happens in the years to come. The ballot will remain in place for next year's Open and probably the ones beyond that all over the country. But I'd imagine that maybe the demand internationally won't be quite the same for those opens versus ones that are here, because it's always been the case, even when it was a regular you know, ticket situation, that the opens at St Andrews do bring in more people, because people sort of think, well, if I'm going to go to one open in my lifetime, it may as well be at St Andrews. And that's certainly the case. I mean, think of the, the merchandise that they sold. I must quickly you know, dive into this, because in terms of the scale of this thing, I went to the merchandise um, pavilion. We wouldn't even call it a tent. Yeah, yeah it's not a tent. That, I saw that. That was a huge, just massive oh, structure. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, it really was. And I went in there on the Sunday, the first practice day, when it was still relatively quiet. And I'm glad that I did, because if I had gone back any other time during the week, I might still be in that line now waiting to get in, because <laughs> it was unbelievably busy. I would have probably come out with, like, PTSD. It was that stressful. It was so busy, but they made an absolute fortune. I have been told that they made roughly £10 million from that structure that just that week on its own. I believe that, I yes. My, fortune from it. My, my brethren, yeah, we they, do they were scrambling... We don't do quiet yeah. and we love souvenirs. So that's, you, well, they had, the RNA had their mark <laughs> in getting so, in letting well, so they, many they North Americans. They did. In. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, literally you had, you, had, you had a line to go into this big structure. We're all queued up and they're all getting ferried around this line. It actually reminded me of, and this is a topical thing, relatively topical. Obviously in the UK, the Queen sadly passed away uh, earlier this year and had the, rather remarkable public spectacle where people went to go and see the Queen lying in state at Westminster Abbey in London. And the queues for that were literally 20 hours and people were on this big line and things and going around this thing and unbelievable effort they did. Um, some people might think that they were possibly insane to do this, um, but you know, certainly a unique thing. But this reminded me of that because it was just the same sort of thing. People are literally standing for hours trying to get into this thing and then they get there and there's more what's lines left? inside the whole thing and trying to get round and yeah and then what's left because i mean they must have been i think they must have had to you know find some drunk folk in the street and take their you know souvenir cap off their heads and then try and resell it again because they must have ran out of stuff to sell you, you don't think they brought I mean, it in it by barges amazing. snuck it in at night on barges well they possibly did they have to do something because i mean they probably they might have started picking blades of grass and try to sell that because they ran out of stuff to sell I mean, and I know some people who are who sort of work uh, behind the scenes on, and for that. And I mean, they were scrambling trying to find any stock they could to try and sell as the week went on. But I mean, literally, you had the queue in, the queue inside, and outside of it, you had, you know, like the FedEx thing, the UPS, to try and send it back across home. So people were literally standing there. They queued oh, for hours Lord. to get in. 
they got in there, they spent their money, then they come out and then another another queue trying to get to the to send it back home, all their stuff. So I've never seen an event where literally you walked around the golf course and obviously there was doing 50, 60,000 people there a day. And an amazing proportion of them were actually wearing merch that they'd actually bought that day. It was like <laughs> walking around with the caps on. So, I mean, I mean, probably, I mean, it's probably true to say, obviously we're actually read a headline today that the world population is going to cross 8 billion apparently in the next week. So despite that fact, probably anywhere you are in the world in the next year, you might be, be within 100 meters of someone who has a 150th open cap from St. Andrews <laughs> because the amount they sold was incredible. So that, that was uh, that's sorry, just yeah. a you know that that test goes to the point that this was not a golf tournament that this was a sporting event this was a public spectacle. Yes. Um, yeah. How far? Yeah. How far do you think that? kind of mushroom cloud extended as you mentioned san andrews is fairly small fife is fairly rural mm -hmm. i mean there's only a few towns where were people staying commuting from edinburgh were people up in dundee were they yep. trying to find yeah how far do you think that really spread then the logistics of trying to get those people in and out daily which i'm assuming it was a lot of planes trains well, what, and parachutes well what, what was challenging and uh, people who have been to st andrews will know that the nearest uh, train station is at lucas which is about five miles outside the town mm -hmm. and there was a rail strike oh so, <laughs> as we've had throughout the year in the uk a lot of uh, a lot of striking uh, railways so actually i think it was the the first day the first day of the championship there was a rail strike and people who were coming from edinburgh or dundee or even further afield they would be starting you know, the earliest part of the day and trying to get here at some point. Um, so that was a challenge for them. So logistically, it was trying to get people here. And of course, you have a small town. The road network is you know, from back in the days when it was all horse-drawn carts and things like that. So it's not, it's not the, you know, the, the car parking situation isn't always the best. Um, so it was hard for them to get people here, but I think they did remarkably well. I mean, in terms of the scale of it, the logistics of it were quite something. And I can remember it opens from when I was a kid going to them. And this one was just so much bigger in every sense. Now, of course, you might argue, um, and some of the purists might argue this, and I wouldn't necessarily disagree with them, is that you've maybe lost a little bit of the intimacy uh, that the open sort of become like any other big sporting event where it's more about the occasion, going to the event as it is a sport. Um, it's all about hospitality and, and the bars and the food and just the atmosphere. Um, and that's not, not a bad thing. Um, you know, that's a reality and that's the case at all big events. There's, I think the one big event that obviously has retained that is the Masters, is the one big event and obviously has got that still intimate feel because they manufacture that there at Augusta National because they have obviously a very unique uh, control and setup. Whereas at the RNA and for the Open Championship, the RNA of course is the, the governing body of the game out with the US and the only thing it makes money from is the Open every single year. So they have to get as much money in as they can. They do a lot of good stuff with it, it has to be said, but to them it's about monetizing as much as possible. And I think uh, the RNA under their new chief, or their modern chief executive they have these days, Martin Slumbers, it's very much more of a commercialized operation, a much more modern organization. And, and I think the Open, certainly this year, was a big example of them trying to make as much money as possible, get as many people through the door as possibly can, 
And one thing to note as well, David, uh, is the fact that in terms of watching the golf, the old course, and I love the old course. I mean, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm team, I'm hashtag team old course. Anyone who criticizes the old course, I'm there with the boxing gloves fighting them back because I'm as big an advocate for it as you possibly can find. Uh, but it's not a particularly good golf course to watch golf on because uh, it's very flat bit of ground. There's not it's much narrow, space around it. Right. Narrow. You can't get in the. You can't get into the golf course because basically, and what I would say to people. One of my one of my lines I like to use when I'm playing with a, a visitor here, I always like to say to them, the old course is both the widest and narrowest golf course you'll play. Because effectively, it's wide off the tee and all that, because you have massive double fairways, double greens for the most part are on the course, but it's a very narrow strip of land. If you look at an aerial photograph of the old course, you sort of think, why on earth is it like, is it like that? All the space around it, and they've got this tiny strip of land that, Acreage is, is very small, and you literally cannot walk inside the hole. So it's kind of, you're basically on the outside of it, like a stadium. Right. Of course, that has its upside as well because they have you know huge grandstands more than any other open before. I think I think it's about thirty thousand seats they had dotted all the way around, and had a, a huge grandstand around the the seventh and eleventh green, uh, right on the, the estuary, um, which was you know, kind of a horseshoe stand all the way around that tee, which was quite spectacular, and so for them, it is as a stadium, kind of an auditorium, kind of that coliseum type feel. But it's a hard golf course to watch golf on, especially when it's so busy. Um, so as a, as a viewing spectacle, you almost have to engage with the bar, the food, the merchandise, the big screen at the, in the big spectator village, that kind of thing. That was, but again, golf itself is obviously a very odd spectator sport where it's very difficult to see anything because it's not obviously a self-contained arena like any other sport. So you almost go to golf tournaments you know, for the day out, for the, ex the overall experience. Um, and that's something that certainly uh, at the Open now, they're monetizing more than ever before. And, and in terms of their, you know, what, the money they bring in and what to do with it, you have to say it's successful. But logistically, I think that come back to it was this was this town, this golf course, this people going about the big debate, obviously one of the, one of the big debates in golf uh, is about the distance that the golf ball travels these days, especially for the players on the tour, how far they hit the ball and does that make older golf courses obsolete competitively? And they've obviously had to do various different things to the old course, some of them controversial to try and make it relevant for the modern player. And so it's right at the limits of being relevant for the modern player also as a venue uh, they pushed it right to the limits uh, in terms of the number of people they had watching it attending it the hospitality the scale the infrastructure all of that was right on the edge of being just they couldn't do any more um, so a... whether opens in the years to come are as big as that or not I don't know but this was probably the biggest open that we'll ever see in our lifetimes I doubt they'll be able to reproduce that short of maybe in our lifetimes like you said it maybe maybe if I get another 50 yeah. years uh, define yeah, all, the all medical open, odds. Perhaps. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, but I want to unpack a couple of things you talked on there. One, just very yeah. quickly, um, does the new course fall victim to all the infrastructure? Is that just covered in grandstands for in the buildup? It was that mm -hmm. lost to the summer, or is that do they not really do they minimize the loss of the other courses, especially the new course being adjacent, you know, right down the 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 front nine of the old course? Actually, 
Yeah, yeah. Well, well as people who who, are, who have been here before will realize the new course literally sits alongside the old. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was this. I'm holding part. my fingers up about three inches apart, and I had several yeah. shots that within three inches of of traversing <laughs> onto the new course, which is I I was mortified it, because it's I still I like, in bounds. That, that 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 is in bounds. That's okay. It's you're fine. There. Oh, I so thought I saw some white stakes. I, the old. I was mortified. Any, anyway, there was a a, a ladies <laughs> golf team was having a practice round out on there. It's like I'm not going and bothering those ladies. They look very serious. <laughs> My caddy's going to grumble at me because I'm going to have to walk back. But okay. But does the is yeah, that... yeah. I, I think your I think your caddy probably thought, oh no, it's one, you're one of these guys, one of these tourist golfers, aren't you? Oh, no. Right. It's gonna be a long day for him. Um, yeah. So but... to answer your question, um, yeah. So in terms of the new course, obviously, one thing that's that's made as I mentioned, you can't put any any infrastructure in the middle of the of the of the old course. You can't literally put a grandstand here or there. You can't put the hospitality right in the middle of the golf course. Maybe you can do. Uh, other venues, particularly those you see, maybe like a US Open, we go to that kind of thing, you have infrastructure everywhere. So they're very limited where it's almost outside the golf course, the perimeter of the golf course. So for example, the, the driving range, which sits next to the old course, um, it was closed for months because that's where the Spectator Village was, behind yeah. the old course hotel. That's where the big merch tent was and all that kind of stuff. So it was closed out of commission for all of the summer and most of the spring. And the other golf courses, um, a huge hospitality pavilion that was sitting on the Eden course, which sits to the other side of the mm -hmm. old course. So one of the holes there was shortened for months. And uh, on the new, it was actually less affected. Okay. Uh, apart from the, the first hole and the 18th, which become kind of the chipping and putting area for the players to practice during the week. So the new <laughs> course and the Jubilee course, which is next to the new course. I love the Jubilee. Closest to the, actually to the, to the water. Yeah, well, yeah. funnily enough, and people people don't realize that it's it's the newer of the those three mm -hmm. courses, but it's actually the one that's closest to the water, which is <laughs> the views there are spectacular. Kind of, oh yeah, some of the holes are fabulous on that. But they they done towards they, the they beat you up. The six the the tee shot at sixteen in Jubilee is one of my favorite places in St Andrews. I just love that coming through oh, yes. through the yeah, yeah, through yeah. the dunes. Very narrow thing. Yeah. Right, little, yeah. you're not yeah. sure where you're aiming. I, I love that. Another thing you mentioned moments ago was the the tension you know between the the loss of the intimacy of the open versus the need mm -hmm. to make the money to commercialize it to subsidize all the other that's a you know that's an interesting that you observe that tension because that's really the story of a lot of golf in the world right now um yes. you know the 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 actual playing of the game versus all the ancillary stuff that we were talking about earlier the the committees and the bureaucracies and you got to talk about it in the club charter in the minutes and running the food and beverage <laughs> and, and all of this stuff that actually that we place so much importance on but really has so little to do with the playing of yeah. the game of getting a, a you know hitting a ball with a, a club and it, it's interesting that that sort of dynamic has has now infected the open championship and the that it's more you know, as much spectacle as it is like, oh, we're going to go to the merch tent and we're going to, you know, we want to see the RNA building and I'll meet you at the Dunvegan later, or, you know, see it, try to catch yeah. you at the jigger and all of this, you're making all these other plans and the, the actual plane of the tournament. I'm like, oh yeah, there's, they're playing golf out there too. Oh, look, there's, you know, there's Tiger Wood, you know, yeah. it, it, it's interesting yeah. that it's kind of come that it has evolved. Um, but I, I think you hit on it correctly as an outsider anyway, that that is, you know, this will be the peak of that for the foreseeable future. You know, the 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 captain of the yeah. Carnoustie Club famously said a few years ago, I got to meet him 
when we were there. Um, he said, you know, that Carnoustie is actually too small to host the open anymore, you know, kind of, which he, he yeah. got, you know, blown, got all the blowback um, for that. But, uh, you know, he, his point's well taken that these, a lot of the open Rota venues, they're not in metropolitan areas. They are, they are out mm-hmm. in remote outposts. You know, one of the ways, one of the things that the, the USGA judges their sites for, especially for the US Open and the Women's Open now as well, is it's growing our, you know, can mm-hmm. you handle the infrastructure? Like we'd love to have an event so-and-so, but it, it just couldn't handle. So you, you end up sometimes with lesser courses that can handle all the the cable and the the mass transit. You know, I've been to the PGA. I, I'm 75 miles from Valhalla. So I've been to several pro events there, PGA championship that Rory mm-hmm. won. I was there the day Rory won. Yeah. Um, and you talk about parking and infrastructure, the the beauty of being in a large, you know, Louisville's probably a million per maybe the metro area is quite large. It's a big mm-hmm. city. And so they bus they had people park in a state fairground parking lot and just took buses, just to, like an ant line. And it so it made it convenient, but there's no that doesn't work in a place like St. Andrews or you know, some of no. the other, you, you couldn't do that at, at Troon, um, you know, some of these outposts. So it's, it's interesting how that, it will be interesting to watch for future venues, how, how, it, whether that, how much it is scaled down, all of that commercialization, it will be, will it be the 150 open light or will we see a reversion? I doubt we'll see a reversion. <laughs> I think people like being, I think after two years of being locked away that this, demand yes. to be out and to have the experience is going to um you know there's a, the threat of a recession knock on wood looming but um yeah I, i'll tell you where there's not a recession tea times in scotland um <laughs> you know in the wake of this I, i'm sure it was impossible to golf anywhere around st andrews the you know leading up to the open but has that has yes. that lingered yes. you know i all the press i read here says look at oh god look at these 2023 green fees look at these visitor prices the t-sheets are full you know good luck in 2024 oh i mean talk to me a little bit about that because that just seems infuriating well i mean it's obviously it's you have to kind of accept it that that's the nature of how things are with these courses do draw in an amazing number of international visitors of course the one upside, if there was one, of the height of the pandemic era, uh, kind of summer 2020, was there were no international visitors. So the golf courses became, especially in St Andrews, they became very much, you heard a lot more UK accents than what you would do normally. People took the chance to come here. They had different packages on and so on, try and encourage visitors from the UK. Uh, because it is expensive and these courses are expensive. And it, it's, it's, it's disappointing in some respects because you look at it and they do skyrocket all the time. I mean, the old course is, I, I first played the old course as a visitor you know, years ago and the, the fee now as a visitor is almost twice as much as what it was then. And that's a little over a decade ago. And that's how the kind of the, it's accelerated and, and that's driven by demand. People still pay it. So that's why it's there. Um, and yeah, that is disappointing because it does price out a lot of people, especially local people who can't play some of these wonderful courses. Um, and obviously, I, I work in the golf industry, and that has some upsides in terms of trying to get access to some places um, a little bit easier, which which helps. For example, it's a wonderful golf course uh, not far from here called Ely, 
uh, it's about 10 miles down the coast, a really kind of historic, quintessential, old-fashioned links course of kind of blind shots and holes that need to cross over each other. It's a wonderful place, fabulous. And I went to play there with some colleagues uh, on the Tuesday evening of the open week. A wonderful night, and it's a great experience. But we found that when you got there, everyone who was playing there were all members of the golf media. Oh, no. And that was everywhere you looked. From, from from the US. I mean, I was literally in a, in a for those who might know these guys, because uh, I'm a bit of a golf writing nerd, so I know all these guys, were playing in front of Alan Shipnock and Michael Bamberger <laughs> on that Tuesday night. And I was turning, I'm like, am I and my colleagues aren't as into golf writing as I am. So I'm sort of like, well, there's there's Alan Shipnock. And they're like, who? And I'm like, no, 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 well, I know one thing. Him. I know one thing about <laughs> his round. He didn't knock it in on 11. He's still 0 for lifetime on, on holes in one. <laughs> Coincidentally, coincidentally, but 10, 11, and 12, probably my favorite piece of earth in golf. Oh, yeah. That that going over that hill and that little, you you come down, it's a blind shot here on the Blind Shots podcast. We're pro blind shot. It's a blind tee shot. And I drove the green with a hybrid on the day we played. It was particularly dry as October. Mm I was actually behind the green. I was like, what a wonderful hole so the ball had ambled down all the way and you've got the sea behind you we were there at high tide the first time we went back out a few hours later and the tide had receded and it was just gorgeous and then you've got this little short tiny what 115 yard par three right there on this little corner almost a peninsula and then you start going around kind of a a cape and you've got hikers that have come down off that that hill Mm -hmm. uh, that are you know hiking the beach and going right around you and saying hi and good day and they I'm not surprised that that was a media favorite because that is just, Oh yes. That is such an experience. It's my favorite. It's if I could play Carnoustie and Ely back to back on rotating days, I'd never get bored and I'd never come home. (laughs) So I'm not surprised that you were, were, uh, you know, that's one of those that used to be a hidden gem and it is just absolutely not because word has gotten out through a lot of those media guys that have experienced it. I mean, I mean, gem is uh, one of the most overused in golf and uh, there aren't too many of those left in scotland now because they've been discovered by so many visitors through the years and ely is a course that maybe if you've heard of you know st andrews obviously in king's barns nearby you might not be aware of ely but ely is you want the pure classic link style experience that that's one go to that i mean to me it's up there um if, you, if you're someone who appreciates i mean i've got this kind of one of my lines is, and actually during that week, we also went and played the uh, the new Dunbarney Links course, which is not far from there as well, which is a very kind of modern link style course, very well designed, uh, very much in the mold of a King's Barnes or a Castle Stewart, that kind of thing. And and they're all fine, those courses, and, and I appreciate them. But for me, I love my old courses. You know, I love the old ones, the ones where my line always says, I like golf courses where basically everyone who was involved in creating them is dead. They're all long dead. Everyone, everyone who designed this course, they're all dust. And they're the golf courses I appreciate more than any other. So that's why I love the old course and I love the new course and I love you know Ely. And, and those are the courses that stand out to me most of all. Uh, and Ely is just an absolute jewel. Um, it really is just a fabulous place. And for anyone who's coming to you know Northeast Fife, uh, if they're going to base themselves at St Andrews and you know, can, can we play elsewhere, try and get Ely on the on the list try and get that on your on your trip because it is just a it's an experience and it's a golf course you know David you were here three years ago and you can still vividly recall those holes around the turn oh yeah and 
that's a sign of a golf course that yeah that you must go and play because it has that you remember it and and yeah those those holes stick with you and it really is just a wonderful place and to play it there on that Tuesday night uh, with members of the American golf press nearby was obviously a fabulous experience although they actually didn't finish their round has to be said they they what they walked in I'm going to reveal that they walked in it, it was it was very late it was getting dark but we we finished but they didn't so they must must have there had dinner go. reservations because frankly that... I, I think so that probably was the case yeah because obviously they they are so well connected that's obviously the case Man, they i could probably even get into so i bet they could get into forgans that week <laughs> yeah well yeah well exactly if anyone who wants to know forgans is right in the heart of st andrews uh one of the you know one of the higher regarded restaurants actually used to be where they used to make golf clubs there back right. in the day one of the first, one of the first uh, manufacturers, Forgans, is a classic family name. But yeah, yeah, one of those places that was very hard to get a dinner reservation that week. And um, that's one thing about you come to an open to kind of tie back to the earlier conversation about the town itself and the atmosphere during that week was when you walk around the town and you look in the restaurants or you sort of peer in through the window from outside like a weirdo, like I did quite a lot. You see famous faces. Oh, there's there's Gary Player. Oh, there's there's who is Roy McIlroy, whoever it might be having their dinner and you see that here a lot a lot you walk around the town here it probably the in probably one random one was always the fact a few years ago walking down market street which is right in the heart of st andrews mm-hmm. where forgans is incidentally and i'm like oh there's a bit of a crowd here people are kind of get, getting excited for some reason why is that oh look there's tom hanks oh, hello tom hanks and there's tom hanks across the road <laughs> so america's like dead I mean, tom hanks random he's not just america's dad he is the world's dad he's my dad he's your dad he's everyone's dad isn't he so it's just so he was here uh, on a little trip as well actually as it turns out his daughter came to the university here some decades ago so there we are so there's a connection there too the the, the number of famous faces the, the number of american accents coincidentally uh, of the students i was shocked at when we were walking because we we stayed at a, we rented a house kind of at the bottom of the hill you know, you go from, mm-hmm. you go from the trust from the golf courses up through town and then you get into yep. the university area. And then I was, we were kind of down at the bottom of that next hill. So, but yeah, it was very weird to hear a lot of California and Northeastern American accents, you know, walking the sidewalks yes. there that, that kind of, I wasn't prepared for that. Um, well, actually, you actually the last round, I haven't played for a little while. It has to be said, which is obviously terrible of me, but the last time I played, uh, there's a, a guy looking for around and uh, actually one of the students and he was from washington state was like, oh come and join us and he was a very very much a classic i would imagine sort of northwest united states person and very chilled out very cool i mean you could probably you know he's, he had, had like a, a heart rate that's probably barely alive he was just that relaxed and chilled out and uh, he was a lovely guy we played with him and, um, and and again, he was talking about the fact that obviously it is this kind of international beacon where it just draws people in from all over the world, and and not just for the golf. And people kind of forget that as well, is that you know golf's obviously a huge part of the identity of this place. But you know, without golf, it still has something about it because it has got that university, which is obviously internationally renowned, um, considered one of the best in in, in the certainly in the UK in Europe and a very historic one of the oldest around anywhere and it has that energy to it where a lot of people who come here not everyone plays golf in st andrews that's a, that's a misconception people say oh yeah everyone's got, got golf clubs and they all know the game no not really i mean you'd be surprised at how many people live here and don't actually play golf i don't understand i, I look around my neighbors here and most of them don't play golf 
and that's you that kind of kind of view askance at them like what what what's wrong what yeah who, who I, 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 I do well to be fair I, I i do ponder what's wrong with them on a regular basis not just to do with the fact they don't play golf but that's one of my reasons to kind of think well, i'm just I'm, I'm suspicious of them why would you live here and not play golf you've got you know a wonderful resource right on your doorstep but it does show that there's a a life to the place out with the golf and i think that's something that's perhaps um, not known uh, is that it has got an energy and when you come towards obviously the winter time when visitors decrease there's less daylight so there's not as many rounds being played it's not as busy when it comes to the golf you start seeing this other side to the town as well which those who don't live here won't really see where you have again very much driven by the university and some of the kind of the winter festivals they have that kind of thing and you do see that you know there is that energy as well that sort of party town almost kind of feel to it um, and that's something that's it has its own life too. So it, there's so many different dimensions um, to St Andrews, and it would be a mistake to kind of focus just on the golf, which is obviously the most prominent thing, and for us as being golfers, the most special thing. But it has got its own energy too, out with that. And I think that's another fun thing to celebrate. And it's again another reason why it's such a unique place, because to have, as again I said earlier, a small town on this kind of corner on Eastern Scotland that has such an international reach. I mean, that is, that is quite a special thing. And in, in this day and age of, you know, seemingly of division and dislike of other people and, you know, people breaking apart for all kinds of you know, reasons, um, uh, it's nice to have somewhere where that actually brings people together, whether it be through golf or whether it be through education or just you know, general tourism or friendship. And, you know, I, I enjoy that side of it. And that's, um, something that does resonate to and it's something that people, when people come here at different times of the year you came here in the fall but even in the winter it still has an energy to it actually the one time this town does get quiet is actually christmas it's the only time of year it's quiet because obviously the students all go home right and that's the one time where it kind of sits back and breathes Hey, thanks for stopping by for this episode of the Blind Shots Podcast. As you heard, Kieran is great. We literally chatted for just shy of two and a half hours and could have kept going, technical difficulties be damned, had I not had other business to attend to. At this point, I'm certain there will be a part two in a future season somewhere down the line. I hope you enjoyed what you heard here today. If you didn't like what you heard, Kieran promised he'd do better next time. Remember to drink lots of water and to sit up straight. And as always, when you have the choice, do decide to go for it and take dead aim. But she is on board. I've convinced her, look, we could go as a couple. We can sightsee. If you just let me play golf once a day or once every other day, I'll probably be fine. <laughs> what? <laughs> I've got a pretty long fuse on my temper, but I don't know that my wife has ever seen me as angry as when technology doesn't work in the exact moment that it is needed to work.